All right. Welcome to Union Thoughts. I'm Connor Lewis, editor of the labor publication Strikewave, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, uh, Diana Hussein and Jeffrey Barawa. Uh, today, we've actually got a special treat. We're joined by guest host, uh, guest host Amy Fedorov, a senior union staffer, fancy, fancy, in Washington, D.C. And Amy, you're also a nationally competitive figure skater, right? Um, well, that's that's putting it generously, but we'll go with that. Sure. You're the best figure yeah, we'll skater. go with that. You're the, you're the best figure skater I know. She's <laughs> also a relative of uh, one of the Russian five. No, I'm just kidding. She's not a Fedorov. Fedor- yeah. Fedorov. <laughs> Sergei Fedorov is definitely like one of my favorite hockey players. Weird ass dude. So oh yeah, really? Where where did, where did he have his prime of his career? I don't care so much about that. He played briefly for the Anaheim Ducks, and that's all I choose to care about. Yeah, because um, that, that, that's where he got He's really most. known for his yeah. time with the yeah. Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I remember, yeah for I the remember, like half a season that he spent with Anaheim. I remember that I think movie. he's known that more for movie. being on like the Russian like hockey team than he was as a duck. Yeah, it was a great movie, <laughs> the Anaheim Ducks. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, so uh, how are we doing? I mean, I'm... I don't know how I'm doing. Uh, so um, at first I want to add, this is Diana and I'm here this week. We are joined by my cat, Maggie, of just a weekly cat update. And also we are joined by Connor's bunker. Yeah. Connor is an updated bunker tonight. I am loving this bunker. So last week we had a, there was an attempt at a bunker. We had a bunker but that fail. That part of my house. Yeah. We had a bunker fail. That bunker was compromised. Um, Some might say all bunkers the, are a bunker fail. The bunker was bunk. Now, I don't you don't really so. win. Even under quarantine, there's no real purpose for a bunker. So the bunker is my closet, which has been like very crudely soundproofed uh, because I read that this is what podcasters do during quarantine. Um, <laughs> I actually am more treating it a little bit like a pillow fort, um, an adult pillow fort, because I've also got like several beers here. Um I'm I'm personally You're recording it. in the dark. We can uh we can see each other on this uh this lovely Zoom that we're recording on and uh you know I hope we I hope we do a screenshot for our listeners. Scary stories with Connor Lewis. Yeah. I you know honestly I feel like I feel very safe here. I like it. I might just start, you know, like spending some more time in here just like some quality time by myself. I will say one thing about the court. I'm, I'm pretty sure, Connor, no offense, your spouse isn't going to be joining any time with you in, the, in there anytime no. soon. So all time no. in your bunkers, quality time with yourself. Look, I'm not going to say, much, I'm yeah. not gonna make a judgment about the bunker. I'm just going to say, Connor, that fort is very you. I think Thank that's you. a really good way of, of course, he takes it as a compliment. I didn't mean it, it is very you. I, I, I echo that that sentiment. How would you take that if not for a compliment? <laughs> so, so Amy, where are you? Where are you? I'm currently in North Carolina at my dad's house. And my exciting thing is that I just got these inline figure skates. And they are figure skate boots that have, like, wheels on them. And they're supposed to be, like, figure skates. Um, and, they like, they're awesome. actually surprisingly, like... I bought a, a pair of like roller hockey uh, inline skates early on in the, the COVID uh, dilemma. And I nearly killed myself um, because they are not at all like figure skates. Um, I learned a very hard way. I like, I have a bruise like the size of um, 
like a Ohio on my arm, but um, these these are much Ooh. better. What did so, you call? What did you call into? sized bruise. <laughs> is it shaped like Ohio too? How many electoral votes yeah. does it have? So it's yeah, shaped like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's shaped like flat terrain. <laughs> well, so so yeah, I'm like uh, I'm gonna start trying to actually learn how to skate on these because I'm like I don't feel like I'm gonna get back to the skating rink super quick. So well, it's great to know that like a national competitive ice skater is like talking about this because mine come in this week <laughs> and i am not nearly at all of that but i think amy you saw the skates i got but i got some oh you ordered in. the rollerblades that's yes exciting. but i'm i'm definitely not gonna be trying to do fancy tricks like you i just want to like go really fast you're gonna do cross-country like rollerblading that's probably more so like cross my block and maybe i'll see how far past that i'll go nice then turn it maybe into a cross country thing. Like, how how's everyone else doing with uh, with COVID life? Fantastic! Like, I got skates coming, and I got cats already here. So, what else do I need? As of recording, I have to go into work tomorrow to go start like closing out the what? Studio. Yeah, that is some crap. Mm-hmm. Kind of a great segue into our uh, episode, though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What are we talking so, about? We've got a couple of topics. Um, actually, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull an audible here and actually just zoom in straight to our second topic because um, Jeff teed it up so nicely. Um, what the fuck is happening with public schools right, opening so, right now? Like Jeff, tell us a little bit more about what's going on in yours. So I uh, guess to, to to say to put it sort of straightforwardly, the kids aren't coming back until next year. Like like our schools. Uh, we actually end in May uh, in, New- in Louisiana. Uh, we usually start in like the very beginning of August and we wrap in May. So they have us coming in uh, for a couple of like a couple of days this week and a couple of days next week. One to cl- finish closing down our school and moving our stuff because my school got closed this year, which is just awesome. Uh, and then two uh, to get all of our paperwork and all the other stuff finish but i mean the, the the way things have been going for the most part since since covid19 happened has been uh they've been like really just you know kind of whipping us to do to create google classrooms and to do online instruction and do a complete transition in the way that teachers and educators do their jobs entirely and expecting that to be done in a couple of weeks it's, it's actually kind of a it's kind of shocking uh, what the expectation is here. So this is like a really interesting question because mm-hmm. like on the one hand, you've got the pressure to reopen schools. And in fact, um, Gavin Newsom floated like I think about a week ago, floated the idea of reopening California schools in July, which is Yikes. just like crazy. Um, and on the other hand, you've got like Andrew Cuomo talking about basically bringing in Google to reimagine education, which basically means like open no, more n- charter n- schools. Not not even uh, I don't know about the Google thing, but I know that he was talking about bringing Bill Gates in. Now, Bill Gates himself has already sort of made his presence known in the world of education. He has spent so much money to like strings attached type money right it's not him giving money away in any kind of a uh meaningful way it's him essentially purchasing 
the it's pur- purchasing the um, education system uh, across the country and and but through donations and through networks of patronage. And he's already they've already been studies and there's already been admissions, uh, especially in things surrounding. Uh, T- teacher evaluations, which is essentially tied to testing and tied to these other um, metrics. And Connor, I'm sure you, you're familiar with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they've already admitted that this is just a failure, an utter up and down failure uh, in any kind of, you know, stated goal. Um, but mm-hmm. in the sort of in, in the sort of, you know, second order, uh, at least stated goal or whatever, or not or unstated goal, I suppose, uh, of have of essentially getting influence and control over our, our public education system. Uh, that has been a hole in one. So the interesting thing about this is, you know, thinking back to the Great Recession, for example, in like 2009, 2010, and well, 2008 even really through kind of 2010 was like the the heart of it. Thinking back to that, you know, you've got a similar dynamic where you've got public education for different reasons kind of crashing. Um, And the solution there was all of this kind of like uh, education reform, you know, Michelle Rhee kind of like charter bullshit. And it seems at least like, the response is different this time. I mean, you've got that push from politicians to do that kind of thing, but there is an article in Politico mm-hmm. um, where Lily Eskelson Garcia, president of the National Education Association, and uh, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. So the presidents of the two big education unions between the two of them, they got about 4 million members, basically saying, yeah, strikes are on the table to stop schools from reopening before they should. Um, oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. It is like that's way different. Like we wouldn't have seen that ten years ago. It is, and and I'm hopeful that they are they they mean what they say. I'm hopeful that they mean what they say, and uh, that there is an actual plan. If there is if there is one, unfortunately, as a sort of rank and file member, I'm not seeing that. Um, but I mean, that doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, I, I really do think that we have an opportunity to sort of exercise leverage in this situation. And if we don't do that, then if we will be the uh, subject of uh, leverage being exercised. Well, it sounds like the two IU presidents or the two big mm-hmm. teachers unions are, are signaling for mm-hmm. that. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good sign that you've got top-level union leadership basically saying, yeah, there's nothing off the table to, I mean, there's nothing off the table to make sure that our schools reopen safely when they're supposed to reopen because thinking about, you know, public schools and Diana and Amy, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this, you know, from the context of like Detroit and Washington, D.C. I mean, they're huge systems that, you know, so many people come into contact with each other that you reopen those too quickly and that could, you know, lead straight to another major spike. I mean, what's the situation like in Detroit schools, uh, Diana? Oh, I, I, you know, the thing is, I don't know where they are in talks of like reopening. I can tell you in Michigan, the governor extended the stay at home until the end of the month. Um, I'm sure there's... A lot of people listening have heard about like kind of the quote unquote uproar against her even doing that. But obviously, I think we all recognize those folks are a small minority. However, if you look at the ways in which 
Detroit has itself become a hotspot. And then you think about how high of a like impact it's had on like low income black communities, which is Detroit. On top of that, you put in all of the issues that the Detroit public school system has had for years. It's not unlike New Orleans. If, right. In fact, it's probably similar in a lot of ways. Sister but cities. you put all these issues on top of something that's already magnified in the community, which is COVID itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it screams disaster. Yeah. yeah, I mean, right now, like I even recently just thinking about the number of all the connections between the staff and the students between, you know, where students parents might work like the number the the number of places that that can become a transmission you know like a hot spot that could then put the entire public at at risk i mean hearing gavin newsom talk about opening up in july in california which has been hard hit is just crazy to me like and i'm glad to see the teachers unions are pushing back and like Mm -hmm. leading the charge against saying no like not just for our staff and not just for the students, but for the public, we've mm-hmm. got to do this in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And teachers have a lot of leverage and educators and education support professionals have a lot of leverage to be able to say, no, we're, we're going to do this the right way. If, if I, 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 I do want to make one really quick distinction here. Though. It also seems like oh. a lot of these considerations have to take into, I mean, with schools reopening, um, I think in, <clears throat> in DC, like they're, probably not real. I think they've declared that they're going to do just online learning through the end of the school year. But, um, you know, I'm not, I don't have any kids, but, uh, you know, I know that, uh, just like, uh, if, if people's employers are, uh, starting up again, but their kids aren't going to school, like, you know, it's sort of like, it puts people in a really hard position. And I know we have like a lot of, um, we have a lot of people who work for CWA who are like, you know, struggling to like parent their kids and try to like, you know, help, um, help their kids like continue to learn um, um, as this is going on. And it's, it's just a struggle for like parents. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, like, uh, (laughs) I don't know what the solution is here, but it seems like, um, you know, you have, you sort of have to do that in coordination with reopening employers too, because um, a lot of people are going to be unable to go back to work if, their kids aren't in school, like mm-hmm. just realistically. So mm-hmm. it seems like people are getting ahead of themselves a little bit um, in terms of reopening employers. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting point regarding reopening, um, Amy, and how that impacts, you know, the the access to childcare, all these things. And it reminds me a little bit of, I've seen um, Culinary 226 in Vegas has actually been passing out a lot of childcare resources, lunch pickup resources, et cetera, for Clark County schools and passing that information along to uh, their members. And it actually makes me think of one of those areas where businesses are starting to talk about opening up and you've got some tension be- between what the businesses are wanting to do and uh, what unions are kind of demanding that they do. So the example I was thinking of um, and it applies to Vegas, but also uh, Atlantic City and uh, Mississippi and some other places, you see a lot of uh, casinos are actually starting to move toward opening back up. And there's been a lot of pushback from Unite Here locals basically saying, you know, wait, wait, wait a second. You can do this, but you got to do it right. 
So I think what's really interesting about specifically these like gaming towns taking the lead, like Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Biloxi, which is now, uh, um, you know, kind of like the gaming hub in the South, you know, it is it, it and not in the same way as the Vegas may- mayor is trying to suggest, but it is kind of a case study <laughs> because these are these are industry dominant towns and this is the industry. So when you talk about reopening the casinos, what does it mean for Atlantic City? It's a large percentage of its workforce. And so, I mean, that's why I feel like it's really important to pay attention to what kind of ways that the workers can at least ensure that, you know, I'll tell you this, everybody I'm sure wants to get back to work. That is not a question. Nobody's having fun having their job laid off right now. People want to go back to work. The problem is we cannot rush it for a lot of obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important more than ever that we find a way to reopen where workers have a voice at the table and a decision in the process. Because at the end of the day, like that's, that's the only way that we could successfully reopen our economy. And that is, I think, looking at some of these industry dominant towns, like how these gaming towns do it is a great way to start. And that is, of course, only if if these bosses listen and if they put into programs for how reopening is is going to successfully be safe for the workers first. Mm-hmm. So, Diana, you mentioned um, you mentioned something about the the Vegas mayor, uh, mayor something about a test case. Did what's? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, that was a few weeks ago when the Las Vegas, um, the mayor of Las Vegas, went on CNN with Anderson Cooper and dead ass serious tried to suggest that culinary to culinary union members who work in the casinos are uh you know great as a case study like they're rats in a lab which is just disgusting but it's not unlike anything that you've heard republicans yeah well not according to republicans whether it's the las vegas mayor certain senators from south carolina these people are ghouls i think we've i think we've long come to um that realization and i think more than ever they're just not even being shy about it anymore Oh, yeah. The masks have been coming off like the the Pennsylvania Republican Party is basically like they released a graphic like the the speaker of the Pennsylvania Assembly, uh, Mike Terzai, released a graphic that contained the total number of covid deaths Mm -hmm. and then like the percentage of like comorbidities that they all had, like the underlying conditions they all had. Basically, Mm -hmm. the implication was like these people are expendable. Mm-hmm. Like the, the masks have come right off. Because you know, yeah, not to every t- too far off topic, but mm-hmm. like it's amazing to me that there are a lot of employers that are continuing like their union busting at this time, and it's like, I you know, it's so amazing that uh, like that you know at a time when workers need unions more than ever, it's like they're bringing in you know they're doing captive audience meetings and all the you know all these things that actually like jeopardize people's lives just wait until you hear about our union buster of the week yes yes i know that's (laughs) that's coming ahead so i don't mean to get ahead of our topic but no no you're no go off (laughs) off. uh, it's really you know it is revealing of a lot of these corporations priorities and um you know i think that we need to I'm a comm staffer and uh, I think Diana is also a comm staffer. So uh, we, you know, I think we need to make sure that these stories are being told of like these employers that are just so like nakedly like um, disgusting and, you know, are um, spending all the, this money like at a, in a time of uh, 
the economy like crashing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like great depression level econ- uh, economy. And it's like, they're still spending money, like having people do captive audience meetings and like, uh, and things like that. It's like, it's, it's more important than ever. I think that we like see union busting for what it is. And, and right now it's viewed as an opportunity by bosses because workers are in such a pickle because they can essentially, I mean, they're essentially there's so much chaos and confusion that, that they, they feel that this is the time that they have to put their foot down and crush any kind of work or organizing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I gotta say, part of like the intention, like recently, like Unite Here did release public health guidelines, and like the purpose is, you know, obviously, I mean, I'll tell you, like there, it, it, these public health guidelines are like what we are expecting casinos who are looking to reopen when it's time to reopen to abi- uh, abide by. And for those that do, sure, they deserve like a recognition for it. But in the event that they're not, they definitely need to be. Con- absolutely outed and i think that's why it's important to lay out these guidelines now so then when they do open it it'll be much more easier to like point the finger and say like here are the guidelines you're not adhering to them and therefore these workers should not be going back to work mm-hmm. i think that that's like and that's something that you know we talked a little bit about education like getting out there and setting the expectations for this is what a reopening of the economy this is what, you know, a return to work looks like. And then just hammering the people that don't uh, live up to those. I think that's what organized labor has got to do. And like Unite here is a great example of them, like setting the expectations clearly. You can reopen. Our members are ready to work, but this is how you've got to do it. Uh, So I think that one of the interesting things, and Diana, if you could uh, maybe speak a little bit more about to the, uh, a little bit more about this, like Unite here actually has like some, interesting unique leverage in dealing with reopening casinos because those all have to go through state gaming boards right so i think that absolutely like you know when it comes to how you know it's it is a partnership really between the unions and the companies and the state regulators because i think it's up to the regulators to ensure that those gaming properties that aren't adhering to these public health guidelines are um, you know, you know, following up, and I think that's inherent in in the um, the guidelines themselves. Mm-hmm. What part of them include implementation and enforcement? So I think you know, to each gaming facility is going to have its own unique protocols that have to be detailed as part of the public health guidelines. And I think that kind of like standard can be applied for every single kind of um, industry that's looking to reopen right now. One of the things that I um, wanted to kind of ask y'all about. Um, as sort of like as a, as a, from a member perspective, um, do you think that it, cause we were talking a bit about, um, cause there's a lot of similarities with the returning to work with the teachers uh, and the, and the school workers and some of the, um, gaming workers. And I, I kind of, when I, when I hear that, Lily and and uh, Randy specifically because that's the world that I live in. Uh, when they're saying things like, you know, we're we're basically being you know getting ourselves prepared to strike. How do we make sure that that is something that is provisioned for all the way down, and so it's not just talk. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just words being said. Uh, because I could see. Um, that kind of thing coming from a, from a union leader, and she could mean it, and she could be trying to signal something in particular. Um, but how do we make sure that locals 
and members all the way from leadership to rank and file get to be a you know start start responding to those signals and make sure that they hear those signals because that's the concern and the communication breakdown that I get worried about. You know, I think that in the education context, I think that, you know, um, Lily and Randy are really setting a tone, I think, that a lot of local leaders, um, I hope, um, are paying attention to. And ultimately, that's going to be a decision that's made by rank and file members and local leaders, how they respond to individual plans. And the you know, the context is going to vary state by state and even district by district. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's setting a really good message that when you're looking at all of this, when you're looking at what's happening in your state, when you're looking at what's happening in your district, nothing should be off the table to mm -hmm. protect your staff, to protect your students and to protect the community. So, I mean, at the top level, they can only do so much. Correct. Lily Eskelson Garcia and Randy Weingarten can't take all of the educators in America and all the education support professionals in America out on strike. Nor should they be but able the, to necessarily. I mean, yeah, nor should would... they be able to. I mean, that's got to be something that comes from the members that are going to be the ones out on the picket lines. My, 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 my point is... Like, like I am, I am so happy that they're saying what they're saying, specifically as it applies to the teachers and the school workers. Um, my issue in what I've seen in the past is that that they can say that and it might not take and I've seen that happen more often than it has not and 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 and, and I am hopeful that we that that there can be ways to do that kind of implementation um, just just getting that moving it for and moving it forward towards happening is something that I'm very interested in talking about so I think that that's and that it might even be a discussion that, you know, we, we might have to, you know, in a future future episode, have like a discussion really zeroing in on that. But I think that from my perspective, just thinking about the willingness of teachers, education support professionals from, you know, from cafeteria workers to mm -hmm. paraprofessionals, secretaries, bus drivers to walk out even on illegal strikes for their kids, for their communities, for what they think is right, is a really good sign that at least in some places, there are educators that are ready and, ready and willing to do this. And it might not be universal, but as we saw in West Virginia, it only takes a couple of examples for stuff to spread. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that what we as unionists should really, and I, I hope that a lot of rank and file members are paying attention to this kind of thing, because as a staffer, it's not my call what locals decide to do. Mm -hmm. What are you I talking really about? Union staffers are the bureaucrats who just make all the decisions. That's what I heard. I, that was yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to be coy about it. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think that this is something that I hope that workers are really kind of seriously considering. What lengths are we going to go to to make sure that our safety, that our member, you know, our our, our student safety and our community safety, what lengths are we willing to go to to make sure that that's protected? Yeah. And that's I think an a lot question. of teachers are already there. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a question. <clears throat> what lengths are the bosses and the government going to do to ensure that when it's time to go back to work, our protections are not there so they can take away our safety net and mm -hmm. I'm talking about unemployment. 
pension. So that is that's a fantastic segue into um, there's an example of exactly what those uh, management and you know the employers and government are going to do. Um, so out of Ohio, we've got an intro. So Ohio, Ooh, I didn't sorry. even need to. I, I didn't even need to get into a story, and Diane is already willing to blow. <laughs> so. Ohio oh, we, was one of the states. About, of, oh, are we making this a college thing? Are we doing? Is this what this is no, about? No, no. This is definitely yeah. an Ohio sucks thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just to clarify for anybody in Ohio, coming, which is probably like two of the three listeners. This is coming from the Wolverine Queen. I don't yeah. actually hate Ohio, but you all know you suck. Come on. <laughs> so this is definitely a college sports thing. Um, it is not a principal political critique. Excuse me, but the college <laughs> sports thing comes from something even more profound. How much uh, principal can you the get? The War of Toledo. Like, this is bigger than college sports, but if you wanted to just talk college sport, it might have been a few years since, but Michigan is the better college. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I can't really make that argument right now. And we I like apologize yeah. for taking just like do a little sidebar on the fact that like Go there's no sports going on right now. And I feel like that's contributing to people's like insanity. And like, uh, I'm interested to see like how different sports leagues, um, like, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of like exploration of, um, starting up like, uh, Go Tigers. Without, uh, without spectators and, and things like that. But I'm That's interested. That's a whole episode, I think. That is a whole episode that I'm interested in having in the near Okay, future. yeah, let's do that. Maybe yeah. next time. Um, so Sorry. to skip past Diana just dismissing the entire state of Ohio, which I love our two or maybe three listeners in the state of Ohio. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Or at least I appreciate you. I can't speak for Diana. Um, you don't. <laughs> so I'm just registering that I am I'm pro Ohio. I went to school there. I went to school in Cleveland. I love you, Ohio. Well we uh, we all know the worst of it is Columbus, but Cleveland's not that far behind. Uh, I mean Cleveland did give, I mean, LeBron James is fantastic. We're not getting into this. So Ohio, <laughs> Ohio opened up May More like 1st. Blow high out. Sorry. Okay. That's it. I'll be quiet. Why? Talk. <laughs> Why? So Ohio opened up May 1st. And one of the first things that they did was literally create a snitch line for if workers Ooh. weren't, if workers didn't want to report to jobs, that were, you know, opening back up, et cetera, um, that employers should report them and then they would cut off their unemployment benefits. So I'll tell you why that's bad. Why is that bad? Go for it. Go off. Um, well, first of all, I, I can say that if I haven't heard anything about like this in Michigan, I certainly know like we just extended until the end of the month and big Gretch is going to keep on extending until we have to. And I, like I ho we hope to hold on to that, but if they were to start doing that, stand a Wolverine Queen. <laughs> I'm the Wolverine Queen. That is no one else's <laughs> nickname but mine, Wolverine Queen Hussein. Thank you. But no, if they were to do that, that would mean that like my family would get super fucked because my brother right now, I won't say where he works. He's asked me not to blast him because the last time I did on Twitter, his HR called him personally to tell him like, no, we care about your our workers. <sighs> but he works in we'll say so a warehouse creepy. that 
packages salsa and hummus in the metro detroit area and that's all i'm going to say about them but they called them last weekend and told them starting monday which was this past monday they're going to start implementing their attendance policy they hadn't been um for a few weeks coincidentally after i tweeted at them and their hr person called my brother they started offering people the option to stay at home and they won't lose their jobs and you know they'll i don't know what the designation was but it was they were able to you know stay at home until they it was deemed safe and they stayed open all of a sudden despite the governor not having re- opened everything up just yet and, and is in fact um, extending the stay at home order they're implementing their attendance policy and my brother lives with my parents who are both immunocompromised my father is 74 and my mom has copd and emphysema my brother cannot go back to work and risk their lives because this company who's owned by a white guy thinks that they're important to Arab culture because they make hummus. Oh, he's doing um, so much. What a hero. Oh, yeah. my God. As an Arab, I can tell you we don't need hummus. And if we did, we're making it at home. Yeah, you and your, your hummus, hummus is nothing anyone of us has heard of. But if somebody at his job or his workplace itself was snitching on my brother and then he wasn't able to collect unemployment right now, like that is just disgusting. Well, like, we, we what are we gonna do? Put like my family's like lungs under like COVID, like in danger, or like uh, the fact that we can't feed ourselves right now because somebody's gonna snitch that he's I not like, making uh, hummus and salsa. I feel like we need like a complimentary sort of like uh, corollary line that would be the stitches line. That would for every person that calls in as a snitch, <laughs> they get another call in, and then they get their asses kicked. <laughs> So, so we're just, Ohio just needs some stitches right yeah. now. Is that what you're so saying? The, the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, <laughs> thank you, is doing the exact opposite. All right, opposite. LA boy. Okay, LA boy. Uh, okay, Amy, back me up here. The great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is doing the exact opposite. There is a snitch line for employers. For workers to basically say what employers are violating public health guidelines. This is important, and this is an extremely important distinction. Snitching on the boss is not snitching. That's not what snitching is. You can't snitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. You can't snitch on the cop. Whistleblowing. Yeah. Snitching is is snitching is bad. Whistleblowing is fantastic. Exactly. So there is a whistleblower line. Snitching is class snuggles. No, no. Why do you have to put that into this? Amy, you had something to say? What is wrong with class snuggling? I don't oh. know. I hate that it's negative. I think it's such a bad negative term to try to embrace because it just sounds amazing. I want to class snuggle yeah, with I'm everyone pro, on I'm this pro. podcast. I don't even know what it means like because I don't keep up with the terminology on the, the Twitter. It is. Oh, God, we could have a whole nother episode about this, too, and how much I hate it. I hate it so much. So cut that out. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, I mean, this is like a very sharp kind of distinction between the way that Ohio and the way that Pennsylvania are handling it. Ohio is basically encouraging snitching on workers that don't want to report to work because they feel unsafe. Pennsylvania is encouraging workers to whistleblow on employers that are making them unsafe. I mean, how much more of a difference could that be? But that's going to be like, as economies and states reopen, that's going to be really the difference is how are they going to force people to go back to work or how are they going to hold bosses accountable? 
My fear is the way Ohio's doing it. It sounds like they're getting ahead of it. And I'm just wondering, I know, like, for example, in Florida, and you could totally see Florida doing the same thing, right? Like, this is, like, so up Florida's alley. But if you think about how much trouble and just how much of a shit show the Florida unemployment system has been, and I wonder if it's connected to that, if they're trying to cover their ass for the amount of, like, unlike in the pending and the bullshit and the errors that people trying to file for unemployment in Ohio are how much is happening rather than actually like being accountable and fixing those flaws. They're just going to start using this as an excuse to just like get out of having to fix those flaws and deny people that way. I think the problem, so my mom actually lives in Florida and um, she was telling me that restaurants are like reopening next week. And, you know, I think, I think part of this, um, I think Republican governors and things like that, like they're, they're sort of using people's like, you know, everyone wants to get out of their homes. Like everyone wants to, they're sort of using people's like, I sure do uh, cabin fever as an excuse to like sort of get ahead, uh, Mm -hmm. ahead of everything. And, um, you know, like my mom has been very careful and, you know, she's like a conscientious person, but you know, like, it's sort of like uh, when you announce that you're going to reopen everything, like people get excited about it and they want to, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, I've, I've fallen victim to it myself and it's like, yeah, I don't want to be sitting around in my dad's house for another like three weeks or, you know, three months, like, or (laughs) two years, whatever, whatever it's going to be. So Mm -hmm. I think that on one level, like, um, part of the advantage that um, some of these employers or some of these politicians on the Republican side who are being like cavalier about it is that they just, um, you know, people do want to like, they're getting sick of being at home. I have a question here. Um, And, and this kind of is, is kind of pinging off of something that, that we talked about a little bit last week, because uh, I do remember a a specific exchange that you Diana and Damiana had when you asked when are actions going to happen again and I would think I mean like that's a really great and important thing to think about because like right now everybody is getting that cabin fever feel and if they're going to be already sending us back to work then I don't see why we can't be sending people straight back to the picket lines too you know do you think that that's a possible actually I I will put in a plug for my um i've been working on this maximus campaign for cwa and these are call center workers who are answering calls for the cdc about covid19 and um they had like socially distanced protests on may day and you know it was really inspiring to see like you know people who are uh people who are uh being asked to show up uh to work and you know deal with um you know, like basically essential workers who are at least like finding ways to do worker activism as um, as all this is going on. It's not easy because like protests, you know, you have to do socially distanced stuff and you have to, um, you know, there are a lot of considerations to mm-hmm. take in, you know, to to consider before you do actions like this. But yeah, I mean, I think workers are sort of finding ways to go out there and, mm-hmm. and protest because that's yeah. that's really essential you got to be creative um i think we're seeing more and more and in some ways it's effective and mm-hmm. i'm sure at some point it won't be but right now it is a caravan protest mm-hmm. but i think it's also important you're laying out the just as much as you are a press release with what you're what you're 
um, caravans about. You're laying out the guidelines for socially distance of, of the people wanting to participate, but also for any media themselves who's looking to do any interviews during the demonstration, you want to ensure that they're practicing socially distancing in the right way to for all of the people participating to ensure their safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 100%. so we've been talking a little bit about governors and states and how they're going to be handling reopening and how bosses are going to be forcing workers back to work. But we've also got examples of workers that are working right now and demanding decency on the job. Um, and they're surprise, surprise, uh, facing a little bit of difficulty. So our union buster of the week I'm going to hand this over to Jeff in a second because this is near and dear to him. Mm-hmm. Metro Disposal and Orleans Parish. Jeff, take it away. All right. So uh, Metro Disposal is um, a contractor of the city, uh, and they're responsible for the essentially the sanitation. Uh, and there are sanitation workers that are currently going on strike uh, because they are uh really getting screwed over on the job let me uh just articulate a couple of the things that they're they're demanding um they're demanding ppe protective equipment because these are the guys that are driving the trucks they're the ones that are hopping off the back throwing the cans in um they're demanding hazard pay um a repair repairing vehicles that are literally just blasting out you know toxic exhaust from the vehicles like they're 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 disgusting uh and a living wage of 15 dollars an hour um now metro services is contracted directly to the city and the city has an ordinance that says that all contracted uh uh all contractors must pay their employees 15 dollars an hour now metro services found a workaround for this because they have contracted yet another contractor called people first that are, are a temp agency it's, it's just so funny that they're called people first by the way because uh, it seems like the, to me that they don't care about people at all um but they're they're able to pay them i believe it was like nine dollars an hour like significantly less than for the 15 because they're not a direct subcontractor to the city um now there has been uh there, there have been people that have been uh sanitation workers that have been on strike for the past uh almost a week uh f- friends of mine uh who are with um, DSA in New Orleans and with uh, various other groups. I, uh, I know some friends uh, who are uh, with 23 are there as well. Um, they, they are showing support and solidarity, bringing food to the lines and all that great stuff. Um, and there have actually been uh, a union campaign. A city, the city waste union has been started. Um, but several of these workers in this, during this drive have been fired. And they, the, the this People First company has been bringing in um, prison labor. Essentially, they're bringing in incarcerated workers to come and scab. Uh, otherwise, they would be essentially put into solitary. So it's it's a total, complete, and utter shit show that's happening in New Orleans. There's multiple ways that you can support. Uh, there's a petition you can sign. Uh, there's a GoFundMe. You can you can bring food uh, on the 9,000 block of Old Gentilly Road uh, if you live in New Orleans area or if you know anybody that does. Uh, there are so many ways to support. Uh, you can definitely get in touch. Uh, we're gonna have in our show notes. A couple of ways to back it out um, to support but in the meantime 
I mean, city of New Orleans, you know, the city of yes, Latoya Cantrell, as you like to say, uh, at you, Metro Services, and People First, you are the Union Buster of the Week. Fuck you. So I just also want to point out, like, how, how like, why it's really powerful to see what these workers are doing. Because, I mean, I'm sure everybody here recognizes, like, the history of sanitation workers mm-hmm. going on strike. And there is, like, it is a civil rights history. And Absolutely. I think it's really, really important to, like, just commend these workers for doing that even right now. I mean, it's obviously, like, something that we, we recognize is a difficult thing to do ever. But to do it right now under COVID is, is all the more important why we need to support as much as we can. And absolutely you to the union buster of the week fuck every union buster who's like jeopardizing people's lives at this time like that's it's disgusting that people are still doing that yeah you know it is absolutely disgusting this thing called union busting uh, so before we move on i just want to highlight that uh diana definitely dropped the f-bomb uh and is asking us to edit that out uh hello to diana's dad I'm sorry, Baba. Oh my God, we're he'll talk to me about it. He'll he'll talk to me about it. It's fine. It's fine. We respect our our co-hosts and um, just just mine. He doesn't care about anyone else. It's just when I said it. I mean, we can be the bad influences here. So um, it's all them, Baba. It's not me. They're influencing me. (laughs) So we are. Diana is an innocent queen perfect creature yes thank you guys i've never thought anything otherwise (laughs) Uh, seriously um so we are just about out of time um i i think we've covered a lot of topics today um so as always you can follow each of us on twitter um i'm at the house red diana i'm at hey diana and i realized today that my pronoun is in my Twitter name and all of our Arabic speaking uh, listeners will get it. All right. And then Jeff. Hey, follow me at Twitter at Eminent Prof and listen to Good Morning Comrade. And our guest host, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on, Amy. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. You guys are great. Uh, my Twitter name is at A Federoff, uh, which is F E T H E R O L F. Exactly how you think you would spell Federoff. So, that is not how I thought. No way. I thought it was, was going to be F E D O R O V. baby, the yeah. Russian five. <laughs> yep, I thought it was going to be uh, just like Sergei uh, Fedorov. All right. Um, well, but thank anyway, you. For- yeah, yeah. Don't don't follow me on Twitter. My <laughs> definitely follow her on Twitter. Oh, um, it was a delight to have you join us, Amy. You should join us again sometime. I will absolutely be back should. All right. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, please make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow us at Union Thought Pod. Uh, that is T-H-O-T, of course. Uh, and like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, especially uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, and if you like what we're doing, um, thank you. Uh, all I have to say is thank you for liking what we're doing. Um, but also please make sure to uh, share it with your friends, comrades, brothers and sisters, siblings. Uh, everyone oh my God, wrap this. up, Connor. All right. Oh my God. This like, is what, I, like this is subscribe. a kind of, em- folks, this is a kind of environment and um, that I deal with. Like, like so thank you. Subscribe, what, the what's bell. that? Like, fave, subscribe, give the, hit the bell, five stars. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Can I end it? Wait, yeah. one last note. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck Ohio. <laughs>
Oh my like god. Union, do we have like a union made like mattress company ad or something that we can add in? <laughs> so yeah. Sleep together. Someday, someday when we have requests for advertisers, we can only <laughs> take <laughs> Oh my god. Um union all made right. sponsors only. Love yeah, listeners. Got, sponsorship has got to come with a union label. We're done. Thank you everyone for listening. All right. See you next week. Thank you.